The following content is brought to you by Andy Beach, Paul Boyer, Will Harris, and David Sierra. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for May 22nd, 2020. It's your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you again uh, with a, uh, I think, worthwhile, a substantive episode. We're going to talk about Joe Biden's gaffes this morning. We are going to talk about some of the polling that's coming out and whether or not, A, we should pay attention to it, and B, why... One look at the polling shows Biden up in all the key states, and another shows Trump up. And we're going to check in on our neighbors to the north. How are they handling the coronavirus, specifically as it results to polarization? But first... Well, you know, Thank you so much. That's really our time. I apologize. You can't do that to black media. You I can't do that to white media and black media because my wife has to go on at six o'clock. Okay. Oh, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Listen, you got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. It's I a, will. It's a long way until November. We got more questions. You got more okay. questions. But I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. It don't have nothing to do with Trump. It has to do with the fact I want Joe Biden gaffed today. What's interesting about the gaff you just heard is that it touches the racial third rail. It shows a side of Biden that's always been there, over familiar. He can tell a black media member that you're not black if you vote for Trump because he assumes they agree on it. But Charlemagne the God isn't just a black media member. He might be the closest thing we have to a black Howard Stern. Charlemagne is the co-host of The Breakfast Club, a New York City-based morning radio show, which is very influential. Although Charlemagne has two co-hosts in Angela Yee and DJ Envy, there's little question that he is the agitator of the group. His direct questions and hot take opinions are a massive part of the show. In fact, He's had physical violence threatened upon him for his recurring segment, The Donkey of the Day. You are a donkey. It's time for Donkey of the Day. I'm a fatten all that shit around your eye. Now, that's not to say that Charlemagne is an anarchist. I've always gotten the sense that he has a very keen political mind and is very eager to play the game. In this cycle, he was an early supporter of Mayor Pete. And my guess as to why is because since he knew Mayor Pete was underwater with the black vote, he could have the most influence in aligning with him. But when it comes down to it, Charlemagne will close ranks and do what's needed to be done. He will even lower himself He will humiliate, he will humble himself for the right political cause. And I can't think of anything but abject humiliation 
when I think of the 2016 viral video, Sensual Pantsuit Anthem, yes, Lena Dunham, rapping about how much she likes Hillary Clinton, for which Charlemagne had a cameo. To reveal a more sensual pantsuit, because that's what you do for the candidate you love. Not really sure I understand the logic here. The rap is trash, and why are you wearing Hillary's lingerie? I wonder if I'm actually hurting her chances of winning. Yeah, about that, Lena. My generic point, to borrow a Biden phrase, is that Charlemagne isn't there to hurt Joe Biden. He's there to help him. He believes the most effective way Biden can be served by talking to the Breakfast Club audience is to discuss how he will help the black community. The moment right before the You Ain't Black clip saw Charlemagne pressing Biden on picking a black woman as his vice president. Instead of waxing poetic about all the black women who have helped him through his career and promising that there will be indeed a serious discussion about that, well, Biden got defensive, which is something he is wont to do. Now, what invariably happens when I talk about gaffes in general, specifically at this stage of the cycle, is the what about the other side. And indeed, We are seeing what we predicted we'd see in a Biden-Trump matchup. A lot of gaffes. There is one difference, though, that I've anecdotally noticed. In general, the most enthusiastic Trump fans tend to celebrate their man's gaffes. Biden's most enthusiastic fans shrink from them. There were more deplorables making grab-them-in-the-what jokes than I suspect there will be you-ain't-black jokes from the Biden heads. Of course, in the end, I don't know exactly how much it matters. It's just something fun to talk about on a Friday. And by the way, it wasn't even Biden's only gaffe of the morning. This was the other one. I'm prepared to say that I have a record of over 40 years and that I'm going to beat Joe Biden. What? I'm prepared to say that I have a record of over 40 years. It is a bit odd that he has an English accent for no reason on 40 years, but what was the last part? And that I'm going to beat Joe Biden. One more time with reverb. And that I'm going to beat Joe Biden. Cue scary piano. And that I'm going to beat Joe Biden. Add the tag. And that I'm going to beat Joe Biden. I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message. Yeah, get used to hearing that from now until November. There's an interesting phenomenon that I've noticed over the past uh, couple weeks. And that is in the polling to this race. I haven't talked a lot about the polling in uh, uh, this general election so far because, as I've mentioned before, I believe we're going through a time tunnel When it comes to the coronavirus, I think that that will affect at least the standing of where the candidates are as they begin crafting their narratives going into November. And that's assuming that we don't see a massive resurgence of the coronavirus going in to November. But now we are beginning to emerge a little bit. We are are collectively peeking our heads above the waves 
as things have settled down a little bit. We're beyond the curve. Deaths are down. Positive percentages are down. So I don't think that this is exactly the situation we're going to be looking at, but I do think it is beginning to resemble what post-COVID politics looks like. But there's been this weird phenomenon, and that is the difference between national polling, state polling, and battleground polling. So let me lay this out for you. Nationally, Joe Biden is up. According to the Real Clear Politics average, it's 5.5%. In most of the likely battleground states, Biden is up. Here are the Real Clear Politics averages for the battleground states. Florida, 3.3%. Arizona, 4%. Michigan, 5.5%. Pennsylvania, 6.5%. And Wisconsin, 2.7%. However, if you survey all of those states together, which has now been done by both CNBC and CNN, it tells a slightly different story. The CNBC change research poll had Trump up two points, while a CNN poll has Trump up seven points in the battleground states over Joe Biden. Now, I am sure that there is a very, very good statistical reason why this kind of effect happens. But considering the controversial place that polling itself uh, was left in 2016. I do just kind of wonder how these help. Are, are these an attempt to try and, and, and bring a new, fresh face to the data? Are we going to see more of these kinds of polls, like Southern states specifically, or some other way to slice everything up? I wonder also about whether or not we're going to see as many polling aggregate sites as we did in 2016. Obviously, the 538s of the world, they have a brand that will be able to stand and go forward. But some of the other sites that were just kind of playing catch-up, I think like Huffington Post had one. A lot of the blogs had one. I wonder if they're going to do them this year, especially considering that there ain't a whole lot of money going around these days. Post-coronavirus, with all the advertising drying up, like, blogs are going to get hit hard. They're going to hope that this a political season drives the kind of traffic that they need it to because they're going to need it to deliver for the advertisers that are there. And maybe that means that we will get more data analysis like we did in 2016. But boy, howdy, is that a hot stove. And a lot of people already burnt their hand on it. I mean, like Nate Cohen of Upshot at the New York Times is a good data scientist. And I don't know if he'll ever stop getting clowned for his 97% chance Hillary's going to win to 3% Donald Trump chance to win. Like, I, I, I don't think that that will ever go away. 
that will always be funny, not only to Trump fans, but also to people who enjoy physical comedy. <laughs> the question now, as it was then, is simple. What do you believe, and how much should you believe it? You magnificent people, all of you, all of you listening, because enough of you stood up, we are now past 900 patrons on TakePoliticsSeriously.com. So many of you are $3 club members. That means you get the bonus episode on Monday. You get the bonus episode on Thursday. Few of you are the Titanic $10 tier. You guys get shouted out at the end of the show. Some of you are even up at the donor class level. Those are the names that get read with the dear Martha violin at the beginning. But really, so many of you, especially over the last week, are just at our big tent level. You give a buck because you think that this content is worth it. Even during a pandemic. Even when there aren't events to cover. That's, it means the world. It means the world. It does. Like the fact that this Patreon hasn't totally eroded is something that I, I will always, will always be in debt to you guys for. Uh, and it is with that that we now set our sights on the new goal. 1,000. 1,000 patrons. Did you know that as of right now, there are only 210 podcasts that have 1,000 patrons? 210. Out of the thousands of podcasts, the hundreds of thousands of podcasts that exist, only 210 of them have gotten to the level that we are brushing up against. We built this from scratch together. And that's the level that we are knocking on because of you. The best listeners in this game. So thank you. And if now's the time that you want to spread the word, that you want to let people know that there is only one podcast that dares to delve in to the news of the day in a, in a way that can be fresh and interesting and entertaining without trying deliberately to raise your blood pressure. In fact, we are trying to bring you education and dare, might I say, amusement. Well, now would be a good time. Send them on over my way. And when they hear it, when they hear PX3 and they talk to you about it, hopefully they have the same instinct that 900 plus people have already had. And they believe that it is worthwhile to part with a little bit of their coin, even in these tough times, for good content. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Our guest today is Dr. Eric Merkley. He is a postdoctoral fellow at the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy at the University of Toronto, and he is the lead survey analyst of the Media Ecosystem Observatory, studying the media ecosystem and public opinion in Canada related to COVID-19. He's also working on an ongoing book project on political polarization in Canada, 
We're going to talk all about that in our current world and how the U.S. differs from our neighbor to the north. But why listen to me intro? Let's talk to him right now. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here. Now, this is a very, very unique situation. I, I've said on the show a couple times that this pandemic that we are in is giving us a lot of real-time lessons that we probably would never have a chance to see. We're, we're watching to see what happens as the economy gets turned on and how much comes back. We're, we're getting to see uh, in, in real time how government works, specifically with, with the United States perspective of federalism and the devolution of power and who actually gets to make a call uh, uh, when the chips are down. But one of the yeah. things that I hadn't even thought about until this opportunity to speak to you came uh, across my, my my radar is that we also get to compare all of those lessons between countries because you're up there in yeah. Canada and you are studying this. So let's 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 start here when it what do you think the the biggest most starkest differences between the United States and Canada in handling COVID-19 are? Well, first, let's be clear. It's not not just between Canada and the U.S., between the U.S. and, and all other countries. OK. Um, in, in, the, in the U.S., we have, uh, you know, a highly polarized political system, which occurs in other countries. But in this case, uh, one party has decided that they are going to uh, undermine uh, public health efforts on COVID-19. Um, and, and part of that's and a lot of that's for political reasons. Um, they feel that you know, opening up uh, the economy, um, improving the economy is necessary for President Trump's reelection. Uh, but part of it is also uh, what we call solution aversion, uh, where people on the ideological right don't like a lot of the policy prescriptions that are necessary to fight the pandemic and the economic aftermath. Uh, and so in the United States, um, we have you know, a lot of uh, elite-led Republican resistance um, to social distancing, to wearing masks, to all this. Uh, and that, that simply does not exist in other countries. So there is there is not a an, an, an urge to reopen the economy in Canada. Well, so there are people that are going to have that opinion. And, 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 and you know, we're, we're going to be facing uh, some difficult choices in the future. The economy will eventually have to be reopened gradually in, in gradual stages. Um, and we're going to need uh, to, to have, you know, to have that political discussion. So, you know, reasonable people can disagree uh, over uh, how fast to reopen, what to reopen and when. Um, but at the moment, uh, Canadians are pretty overwhelmingly of the opinion uh, that it is too soon to reopen the economy. Uh, they see the cases and the fatalities rising. Um, and that's true across party lines. So uh, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because it, it seems like in terms of at least the public opinion polls that I have seen, uh, uh, there does seem to be broad based support for uh, social distancing and at least the need to have shut down the economy across yeah. party lines in America. So w where where is that difference? Well, there are still uh, gaps between Republicans and Democrats. Um, now, they, they disagree. So, for, for instance, Republicans are uh, in the minority. A minority of Republicans uh, are of the opinion that shops should remain closed. Most think they should reopen. It depends on what type of question you ask. Are you asking about shops? Are you asking about schools? Um, when, what, what do you want to reopen and when? And on some of those questions, there are big differences between Democrats and Republicans. 
and on some there are, are fewer differences. Um, so it, it depends on the question, uh, but the reality is that there are still bigger differences uh, between Democrats and Republicans than there are of political supporters in, in, in this country. Um, and further, um, there is uh, pretty strong evidence that Fox News consumption, that in the United States there's this you know, uh, large conservative media uh, echo chamber uh, led by Fox News, and exposure to, to that sort of information is associated with um, you know, a, a stronger desire uh, to reopen the economy and less uh, support for social distancing. Um, and we don't have an equivalent to that in Canada. Uh, so, so you don't have a, a, a Fox News. There is no conservative uh, 24-hour media up there in Canada. No. We, we, have, we have some scattered right-wing and left-wing outlets. Um, but they, so we, we did some research back in the fall during the 2019 uh, Canadian election um, looking at the media ecosystem under the Digital Democracy Project. And we were able to basically tra- to track the news that Canadians consume. Um, people installed a, a plug-in on their browser, were able to see what news sites they visited over the course of the election. Uh, so some good behavioral data of what mm. news Canadians are choosing and what they are not. And we, and we find that the, the partisan websites that exist, Rebel Media, for instance, uh, virtually nobody goes to these websites in Canada. Um, conservative media is much, much stronger in the U.S. than it is north of the border. Why do you think that is? Oh, that's uh, that's a good. Well, so part part of the part of the issue is that all media is struggling in Canada. Um, so we've had uh, an unbelievable number of newspaper closures. Uh, you really need to have a really broad national base, a large demand uh, for that sort of news in order to survive. There was an attempt a few years back called Sun TV that tried to be the Fox News of Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, they just couldn't uh, they couldn't pass commercial muster. They failed. Uh, there just wasn't enough wasn't enough, a lot of demand for that. Uh, and part of that is you know you know getting into the weeds a little bit. Um, we are in some respects as polarized as America, but in other respects we're not. We don't have the same. Uh, we we certainly do have racial tensions, but they're of a different variety as the U.S. Uh, our social people's social identities, the race, the religion aren't as intertwined with partisanship as they are uh, in as they are in the United States as in Canada. Um, and these, these sorts of things uh, dampen the demand for that sort of information, I think. Um, so we, do, we don't have it in Canada, not to the same extent as in the U.S. Gotcha. So you said in some respects you are as polarized. What would be elements that would be similar to the United States' level of polarization? Oh, so here's, here's a good example of this. So... If we ask somebody, you know, how, so this is, this is a standard measure that we use in, in survey research to get at this. Um, how do you feel about the Republican or Democratic Party on a zero to 100 scale where 100 is you really, really like them and zero is you really, really yeah. Um That just kind of gets a baseline. How do you feel about a party? Um, what we find is that Canada and the U.S. look pretty similar. So Republicans that are asked that question about the Democrats are pretty negative. And the same is true if you ask a conservative about the Liberal Party in Canada. Um, but what's different is, is we don't have as much social alienation, but something called social distance. So there's another, another dimension of, of this, what we call affective polarization. It's how comfortable do you feel with different social groups in your own social network. So, so to get at this sort of, this sort of concept, 
we ask questions about how you know how comfortable would you feel with uh, a person of this group being your neighbor, being a close friend, um, being an in-law. And what we find is that the U.S. is much, much higher uh, in terms of polarization on this dimension than in Canada or, say, the U.K., where Canada and the U.K. are pretty similar. Um, so what this means is that we may dislike our parties, but it's not as deep-seated yeah. um, as it is in the United States. Um, and that that has implications for demand for partisan news. Um, so we don't have that same those same sorts of networks in Canada. Uh, and then this has you know obviously downstream of consequences, things like COVID nineteen risk perception uh, and social distancing compliance. So th- there is an element of human alienation to this. That that partly I mean if based on that research you would not want. Uh, somebody of another party to be, you know, in your family or on your block, then you can reasonably infer that that is uh, at least on some level transmitted in somebody's daily life. And there is kind of an, an unpersonhood yep. that happens yep. based on political lines. Yeah, that's, that's a great way of putting it. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier that there was an elite led uh, reasoning to incite this. Uh, uh, could you unpack that a little bit for me, uh, what, what, what that means? Sure. Um, well, so so part of it is just is, is the politics of it. Um, so we have, you know, very strong evidence in the United States that, uh, you know, presidents only really get reelected if the economy is doing well. Um, now, obviously, there's only there's only so many presidential elections to study. Uh, but nonetheless, forecasting models using just basic economic indicators, do a pretty good job of predicting the results yeah. of presidential elections. Uh, and so on the Republican side, you worry, well, if the economy, like we're, we're, we're approaching Great Depression levels of economic catastrophe, um, that this is going to have a bearing on the, the results in November. And so the only way to stop that is to reopen the economy so that it can rebound to previous levels. Now, the, lo- the logic of this is flawed because uh, just because governments reopen the economy doesn't mean people are going to reopen themselves. So what we saw uh, during the outbreak is that even in states that, that, that locked down earlier or later, the public-led governments followed. And, and that means that um, people were already starting to lower their spending to reduce their mobility well before government lockdown in order to protect themselves. So there's some flawed logic there, but nonetheless, the point remains that they feel that they need to reopen the economy, improve the economy in order to win in November. So there's there's a partisan calculus involved. The second is ideological, uh, and part of it is you know deals with sort of the the interplay of interest groups and in politics in the United States, and that a lot of, a lot of a lot of businesses are losing a lot of money because of the lockdown. Um, they're very influential in, in the halls of Congress. Republicans are ideologically kind of um, in sync with 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 less government regulation, um, and they they're cast a skeptical eye on these sorts of policy interventions. And so part of it is also ideological as well. So there's a bit of both going on, um, but it's it's unique in the sense that in the U.S. we have, we've seen this debate play out, um, but in Canada not really nearly as much. So uh, when when we say elite, I, I take it by your answer to mean that this is something being directed from the White House or the president's advisors that are focusing on November. 
Yeah, political leaders. So um, members of Congress, the White House, the executive branch. Uh, In Canada, members of parliament, the cabinet, those sorts. Yeah. So, I mean, the only thing that I would push back on in that is that, you know, Georgia was one of the first states to try to reopen up. And that was something that was chastised by President Trump for going too fast. Is is that a mixed message there or how how does that factor into the idea that this is elite led? Yeah. So so part of it is complicated by the fact that Trump can't make up his mind. So he's, he's very inconsistent. Uh, so he chastised Georgia, but on the other hand, you know, he, he sends all caps locks tweets about liberate Michigan, uh, you know, liberate Ohio and the like. Sure. Um, so, so part, so when, when I say elites, I, I, I don't just mean Trump. I also mean um, members of Congress who are skeptical about reopening. Um, and, and this is all reinforced by Fox News, uh, which is, you know, fed uh, its news consumers daily doses of skepticism about the efficacy of lockdowns and the like. Um, so, so it's all it all reinforces each other. But it's certainly true uh, that Trump has at times jumped around in his position about reopening or not. Yeah, I mean, and it, I guess the the one thing that I find very very interesting about all of this is that. You know, there seems to have been this division place, and I don't know how much of it is media byproduct or just our natural polarized lenses that on the same dais we see Donald Trump and and Anthony Fauci, the, the director of the National Institute of Health. Uh, they are both speaking for the federal government, and yet to yeah. listen to the media they are constantly at odds and they are warring with each other. Right. Uh, yep. And and I think if you were, if you were to just show a hundred people, those press conferences and then ask them to draw the story of that, I don't know if they would come up with that. I think that that's something that, that kind of gets synthesized because of our, our, our polarized lenses. So I, I guess in, in my yep. mind, I don't really know, if there is a message to take from it, if there is a clear message from the top, from right. the federal government. Yeah. So, yeah. So that, so um, the distinction matters though, between president Trump and Fauci. So pe- people will follow the leaders that they trust. Yeah. Um, and, and people that, you know, really, really trust experts. They're going to follow Fauci's lead. Uh, people that really, really trust Trump. They're going to, they're going to follow Trump over Fauci. Um, so, so that, so that's one, one element that even though they're both, but are, are they, are they, are they pulling in different directions? Yeah. So to, to, to some people that aren't firmly anchored, they don't have a strong partisan identity. Um, it might, it might be, you know, sending mixed messages, but that's, but that's the importance. So this is why cable news is an important uh, factor here, right? They, they spin the narrative. And so if you're watching Fox news, they're, they're going to take, all of the pieces of information, you know, from these press conferences and the like, in order to suit the narrative that they that they want, and and cable news networks on the left will do the same. Um, and so, even though if you if you watch the press conference, um, you might see mixed messages. That's not not how most Americans will encounter information about politics. Um, that it's going to be distilled to them uh, through a mediator, uh, and that mediator is is the news media and the narratives that they want to tell. Um, so, so there is some mixed messaging, 
but I think that this is constrained by the fact that um, people will follow their trusted opinion leaders, uh, and the news media on the left and on the right and the center, uh, they all they want a coherent, a coherent narrative. Um, and to some degree, that narrative can be problematic. So you pointed out, you know, the tendency of the news media to, to hype up conflict. And I think that's that's an important point because most Americans are very concerned about coronavirus. Most Americans, uh, on, both Republicans and Democrats, don't want to reopen the economy. Um, and, and there's this heightening of partisan division that the, that the media does on a regular basis. And we have some good uh, political science research that suggests, even in the context of COVID-19, um, that you know, exaggerating polarized differences um, begets polarized differences. And that's a problem. Does that happen in Canada? Where the media hypes up the 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 the, the fights and, and stuff like that? Oh sure, oh sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Does it um, does, does it happen to like, the same degree, or are we are we the best at it? Are we number one? Because you know, in America, we love being number one. Yeah, I think you guys are number one for sure. Nice. Um, and I th- I think that's because of the, the the importance of these partisan media outlets uh, and cable news, um, who really so some research of mine. Uh, looks at kind of news content on areas where there's where there's expert consensus, and, and I find that cable news really more than other me- media outlets heightens these partisan divisions. And we don't have an equivalent to that in Canada. Um, so, so I think you guys are number one, but that's not saying we don't do the same thing. Um, the, you know, journalists want clicks on their articles, conflict sells. Um, so this is this is a tendency across countries, um, but I think it's more muted in Canada, and I think part of the reason is that say conservative party leaders, just in terms of, you know, you haven't had any conservative party leaders downplay coronavirus, compare it to the flu, um, amp up these weird potential cures. Like there hasn't been any of that. And so the media doesn't really have anything, anything to grab onto in terms of heightening partisan division on the central questions at stake. Is this a real thing? Should we be socially distancing? Those those sorts of divisions don't exist in Canada at the elite level. Is there a lot of pushback on social distancing? Because I think opening the, the fact that a store can open seems to be a a point of debate and obviously passion. But I haven't seen a lot of like nobody should social distance stuff. I mean, no, maybe maybe some even, of the yeah. mask stuff, but but other than that, like it seems reasonable to people at least based on my observations anecdotally that, you know, the, 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 the staying six feet away or, or not shaking hands thing yep. uh, for the time being seems pretty universal. It, it is universal, but there are still are differences. So even, okay. even on those sorts of questions, uh, there are differences between parties. I just saw a paper posted today that saw a pretty big gap between Republicans and Democrats and just wearing masks. Um, in Canada, those those divisions don't exist, but I, I, th- I think they do exist elsewhere. Um, they're certainly more muted um, than concerns about than um, if you ask them their with their level of concern about COVID nineteen. There is there is more consensus about social distancing, but those those divisions still do exist. All right, let me ask you some questions about cable news because you brought it up a couple times, and it's always been something that I've been very interested in how much uh, uh, power. Uh, uh, is is often ascribed to cable news, which is a medium that, by and large, is 
you know, fading. I mean, they are going to face and have faced specifically with this pandemic, the same kind of uh, advertising crisis that closed a lot of those papers up in Canada, closed a lot of the local newspapers here in the United States. Uh, and to me, you know, 24 hour news seems even subservient to social media at this point. If you look at their story selection, uh, why is cable news so powerful in your view? It's it's serving a demand um, there. You know, it, it, you have to keep in mind that most Americans, their, their primary news source is in cable news. So there, there are some important caveats here. Um, most Americans still consume moderate mainstream news sources. Uh, they tune into the nightly broadcast. They read the big newspapers and their local papers as well. Um, most Americans don't consume part of the, partisan cable news, but there is a block of Americans that are, are they're very strong partisans. They're very ideological uh, and, and cable news serves them the content that they want. Yeah. Um, that they, they, they are less interested in these, these consumers are less interested in the facts per se, and more interested in having their beliefs reaffirmed. Um, and, and for people and opinion leaders to provide frames to stories to help them understand um, you know, what can be some pretty complex topics? Um, that's, that's why cable news is important. It's not important for everybody, um, but the people, but it does matter for a subset of Americans, uh, and they play an outsized role in the political process because they're much more politically engaged. Uh, they're much more attentive to what's going on, um, and then they, in turn, affect political leaders uh, and the like. So some caveats there, but that's that is in, in a sense why. So you are saying that it's less that the cable news outlets themselves have power, but more that there is an audience for that product. Is that safe to say? Um, it's a bit of both. Um, so, so, so some of it is what we call selection effects where people, you know, tune in to cable news, have their views reinforced, but their, 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 their opinions don't change. Um, so there's some of that going on, but there's also some good good social science evidence that uh, paying attention to cable news exacerbates your beliefs as they already exist. So it, it reinforces uh, your, say, level of antipathy towards uh, the opposing party um, that re has a reinforcement effect as well. So so there's and and and, and there's other effects, too. So uh, if you're if you're Republican elites uh, and you're paying attention to what the news media is saying, you're you're paying attention to Fox News. Um, President Trump certainly is paying attention to Fox News. Uh, and so Fox News has an agenda. I mean, yeah, but pre pre President Trump pays attention to all news. <laughs> he is, he is he certainly he a, pays attention a, to all a junkie news, for it. Is, yeah. But, it, but he's no doubt paying very close attention to, say, Fox and Friends. Um, he, he responds in his tweets to content that they, that they produce. Indeed, yeah. Um, and so, so they, they are able to set the agenda for, for him and for other uh, Republican leaders. Um, and also, uh, you know, politicians don't always know what their constituents think. And so sometimes they'll, they'll pay attention to the media as, as a, a, a proxy for what, what their own supporters believe. And so a, a lot of Republican elites can also tune into Fox News to get, kind of get a lay of the land, if a biased one, on what their own voters and supporters believe on certain questions, um, and so so Fox News has 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 
lots of effects on the political system that aren't just about persuading individuals, although I think there's some of that as well. You know, it's it's interesting. I want to go back to a point that we talked about earlier in the interview, and that was the idea of the dehumanization of of the uh, yeah. across the aisle, because that almost, you know, word for word is kind of what I've heard from or is the rallying cry from conservative media that this is the reason why the conservative media needs to exist, because they felt dehumanized by mainstream media outlets or they they felt their politicians would be ridiculed uh, for their beliefs and not given a fair shake. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I wonder where the origins of this are or or if if understanding it is any key to to doing better or or uh, uh, maybe curing some of the ills that this has caused us. Yeah, so that's that's a complicated question, but it's a really good one. Um, and uh, I, I don't think we have uh, really a consensus on what the origins are. I think a lot of scholars will say that um, aggrievement about the media, that seeing it as biased and all that, is simply, again, an elite-fed construct, that um, Republicans were behaving a certain way. They didn't like how the media was covering them, and so they tried to convince their supporters that the media is biased, uh, don't pay attention to them, uh, which then fueled demand for, for partisan media on the right. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure I agree with that uh, fully. Uh, I, have a, I have a paper that shows some evidence that mainstream news is, is biased against Republicans, um, but there's some mixed evidence. Uh, so other, other research says different things. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, hard to say whether there's um, you know, a, a, a good reason for it existing. Um, but it does exist, and it and it does fuel that demand for partisan media. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I'm sure that there are a bunch of uh, you know right leaning listeners that are screaming into their uh, headphones now about you know any any number of examples that they might uh, that they might have for sure. for differences yeah, and, in treatment yeah, or whatever. Certainly. Yeah, uh, and and you know there there are certainly articles that I've seen um, that reflect bias. Um, it. it you know, it, it happens. Uh, journalists are human. Uh, they have, uh, they are overwhelmingly liberal. Survey survey evidence uh, suggests as such. Uh, and and sometimes, you know, it's I, I can't imagine it doesn't seep into their coverage from time to time. Um, journalists are human. Uh, and 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 honestly, some healthy skepticism of the media is 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 uh, a good thing. Um, the media is is very very interested in selling the news. Uh, and that leads to certain frames, coverage of co coverages of topics that are not particularly helpful. And so, so healthy skepticism of the news media is, is a good thing on the left and on the right. Um, but to claim that uh, news media is just overwhelmingly biased, I don't think there's a lot of good empirical evidence for that. Um, for instance, uh, there's a paper that just came out in Science Advances uh, that shows that uh, journalists are norm no more likely to cover uh, Republicans than Democrats, so kind of a gatekeeping effect. Uh, yeah. that they found no evidence of bias. Um, so, you know, the the, the evidence is lacking, um, but uh, you know, more research is needed. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the the, the thing that kind of sticks out to me on this specific topic, and granted, one data point on a large, large, large graph, but uh, you know, did, did you follow the 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 Tara Reid uh, uh, article in the New York Times and, and then the interview with their executive uh, afterward? 
I saw the first article, not the interview. So yeah, the interview afterward, it's, 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 it's well worth reading, but there's a kind of passing comment that there was a line edited at the behest of the Biden campaign. And that's just kind of mentioned. Right. And, and that's one of those things that I think is probably more instructive from my perspective as a former journalist there is a lot of back and forth that happens between, especially in kind of uh, uh, access journalism fields like politics, where you do, where you do uh, play back and forth. However, I don't know if that would have necessarily happened the same either with president Uh Trump or president Bush, maybe more president Bush, than president Trump, just because there's enough people with the Trump administration that'll go on or off the record to tell you whatever you want. Uh, Yeah. But there is, I don't know, I I think that that there is a very important idea here uh, about people feeling like there is not a fair shake given to them. And and be it that they feel that there is a shaping of conservative media that is taking us down a dangerous path, specifically with this COVID-19 stuff, or the origins of conservative media thinking that, Look, uh, there's just no chance that that uh, uh, mainstream media outlets will ever give us a chance. And so we need to create our own tent. Uh, yeah. uh, th- this this is the animating idea, the, the lack of representation. Yeah. And uh, it's yeah, there's no no good answer because, you know, if you know, no, knowing that conservatives feel aggrieved, um, what, what what is the proper response by journalists? Um, so, you know, sometimes you get weird articles that you know, have a very strong degree of false equivalence between two sides. Um, that isn't probably the answer on a lot of topics, right? So like something like climate change, where if you want to fairly represent, you know, thinking of, you know, quote unquote, fairly representing both sides, you're going to elevate kind of climate denialists uh, to the same level as climate scientists. Um, and so you can, you can imagine situations where uh, dealing with this concern leads to very weird, unhelpful, confusing coverage. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't. I on it. I don't know what the right answer is. It's tough. Um, uh, you know, I'm 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 critical of the media to to a large degree in many cases as well. But it's a really tough job, and and I don't I don't know. Especially in this case where where a party like in, in COVID nineteen where where a party has has really kind of flown against experts and most other you know the responses of most other countries in the world and you know to to cater to that concern by presenting both sides equally is is strikes me as pretty strange um so i i I don't know what the right answer is well i think we will all endeavor to find it together and we will do it in a more educated way thanks uh, to our conversation with dr eric merkley he's a postdoctoral fellow at the monk school of global affairs and public policy at the university of toronto and the lead survey analyst of the media ecosystem observatory which you can find at media ecosystem observatory.com studying the media uh, media ecosystem and public opinion in canada related to covid19 he's also working on an ongoing book a, a book project about the political polarization in Canada. Dr. Merkley, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And that's going to wrap it up for us today. I want to thank our Titanic $10 tier, middle-aged Mike, Chad, Dallas Danger Taylor, your boy Craig, Zachy Chan, TroubleFilm.com, Nick, Utah, Jimmy Montana, D. Laser, Captain Ball, Bunzo Thompson, Frozen Summers, Emily, Wolf Glenn 99 Berkeley Steven, The Gen, N.H. Blumkin, Robert Eoxy, and D.L., 
as well as Andrew, Brad, Brian, Daily Tech News Show, Darren Kitchen, Jay Milius, Jonathan, Lindsay, Miranda, Nick, Nomadic, Olin, and Angela, Richard, The Lonely Now, and Thor. You want to join their ranks, you head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. I, I don't plug this uh, enough these days. I, I did at the beginning, but we got a lot of new listeners here. So I'm going to just make it clear. If you're not subscribing to the free political newsletter and you like what's happening here, man, I don't even know what to tell you. It is a tremendous extension of this for free each and every day in your inbox. Did I mention it's free? Because it is. Free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. You want to follow me on Twitter? Justin R. Young. Uh, the rest of it. Who cares? Whatever. Okay. Uh, uh, next time. I'll see you. That's what I'll do. I'm losing. I'm running out of steam. It's the end of the week. Uh, some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics. And still more, man. They're talking about politics. Here's the deal, man. What are you doing, man? Hey. Hey. Uh, look. This is the only show. This is the only show that dares to talk about all Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>